Ammagyanatimirandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chaksurumilitam Yenatasmai Sri Gurave Namaha Namaum Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Swami Sri Bhakti Vedanta Prabhupadayate Namaha Gurvagyam Shira Siddhajam Shaktyavesha Swarupine Hare Krishna Timantrena Paschacha Prachatarine Vishwacharja Prabhajada Divya Karunya Murtaye Sri Bhagavata Madhuja Gita Jnana Pradayane Gaura Sri Rupa Siddhanta Saraswati Nishevine Radha Krishna Padam Bhoja Vringaya Guruve Namaha Devam Divyatanum Suchanda Vadanam Balaka Chelanchitam Sandranandapuram Sadeka Varanam Vairagya Vidyam Budhim Shri Siddhanta Nidhim Subhakti Lasitam Saraswatanam Varam Banditam Subhadam Madeka Saranam Nyashishwaram Sridharam Shri Guru Vaishnav Guru Paramparaki Jai Jai ऐसे भक्ति विदांत स्वामी प्रोपाद्धि रुभा बामोच्छवतिते की जाए, और भक्तब्रिंद की जाए, और भयमानंदे। So gathered on the occasion of the commemoration of the divine disappearance of our beloved Gurudev O Mishnupad Paramamsa Parivajakacharya Stutarasatta Sissimadji Esi Bhaktivedanta Sami Prabhupada Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai So I'll speak a few words and if anyone would like to make some comments, additions, um, ask questions and so forth. Try to allow some time for that as well. And then Guru Puja, Artik, and Prashad. That is the program. So today is the disappearance of Srila Prabhupada. occurred in this, this month of Kartik, auspicious month in Vrindavan. And that after many months of preparing, in a sense, to pass from the world, or and, and, and by that I mean preparing us for his, his disciples, preparing us for his departure. As far as himself, he was ready to come or go as the Lord willed. With regard to his coming, we should try to say something. He used to comment about it himself and that often also in the context of generously uh, describing 
his disciples. Suchinam simatam gehe yoga vashto jayate. He was born in a Brahmin family or a wealthy family. Suchinam simatam. This is some indication that in the past, according to Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna had asked the question in the sixth chapter about the position of one who takes to Krishna consciousness, but giving up the world to do so is not successful in attaining Prem. What's his position? Where does he or she stand? He gave up the rules, religious rules, dharma, shastra, varnashram, to pursue bhakti. Having faith having dawned in his or her heart. But not successful in bhakti. What is success in bhakti? What is the goal of sadhana bhakti, bhava bhakti? And Bob is the ray of the sun of Prem. So as it's churned, then it turns into Prem. So what if we're not successful? Arjuna asked this kind of question. I have taken one foot out of the world and um, there's some apprehension that I may be culpable for not performing various uh, duties and responsibilities according to Dharma Shastra. But of course, I've done it with the hope that I'll be successful in the pursuance of bhakti. But if I'm not, then what will be my position? So Krishna gave his explanation. In the context of that, he explains the position of one who is not successful entirely in transcendental pursuit and how they take birth in pious families to again, pick up where they left off. So he used to say about us, generously, many middle-class Americans came to uh, his shelter and and middle-class or low-class. It doesn't make a lot of difference by worldly standards. The lower class or the, or the, or the, I don't know what they would, what do they call them in America? We have middle-class and do they call them lower-class? Sounds politically uncorrect, but at any rate, um, lower class, I mean, economic uh, ladder, are like the higher class economically in many countries of the world, as we know. So, be born in America and be, and be born in the West, uh, outside of India, you know, Prabhupada was, uh, appeared in India, and to be born in a family in India and to have the opportunity to come to the, to the West, even to, to, to leave India practically at all, to speak of go to the West, that's like a dream. Uh, a, a dream that's, that's very, very difficult to realize for a young man or woman in India to get a visa to come to Europe or America. It's very difficult here. Those of us living in America have the U.S. passports, can go anywhere, and it's hard to relate to them. But 
I have a lot of personal experience of that aspiration. They will join ashrams and spend two, three, four, five years as a as a pukka brahmachari, mm-hmm. all with a view to come to America, just like someone would go to college or join the military in order to get some education and, uh, and a better capacity for uh, earning a living upon uh, graduating. So, it's and religious culture and and all of this type is, of course, second nature to village people in India. In fact, to join uh, an ashram that has bases in in America means to join one that has money. Even just materially speaking, their standard of living often increases considerably within India. So, to come to America, it's, it's not uh, such an easy thing. Of course, when those so-called brahmacharis come, then their colors come out, or their color comes out of their cloth. <laughs> and the world, the colors of the world, then attract them. And what they're really all about is, becomes apparent. So, um, by uh, material estimation, uh, from uh, real, realistically speaking, from the Indian point of view, America is like, uh, like heaven. And as many of them think that that's what, where Swarga is in, in America. They've got their geography a little bit mixed up. But, uh, there's good good reason for their thinking like that. And so he used to say that those uh, born in the West, uh, he was personally witnessing the, the type of opulence that uh, Western culture had in comparison to Indian culture and his, his upbringing, and probably was not from a poor family. Still, the, the standards of uh, living, of course, are so much higher. So he he reasoned that these boys and girls, they're born, this verse applies to them, they're born in wealthy uh, families, and wealth comes from piety in the previous life. Some piety must be there to give good economic standing in this life. <clears throat> How you spend it, of course, that will determine your next life. But he considered many uh, of us like this who came with enthusiasm for Krishna consciousness uh, have been involved in the, in the previous life and unsuccessful, and therefore he would say, therefore, in this life, you should be determined to be successful. He used his generous statement, which made us feel good to his advantage, <laughs> to push us and humble us. As soon as we felt, oh, ah, gee, I did this in my previous life, just see. Okay. Now, finish, don't waste it, then we'd be humbled immediately. Think how we should spend our time with such kind of sense of urgency for making a comprehensive solution to life's problems, he would preach. But about himself, then, uh, the second verse, Atava Yoginam Eva Kule Bhavate Dimatam Etadi Dulavataram Loke Janma Yad Idrisham. Krishna says, however, or, he says, 
atava yoginam. He's born in a family of uh, yogis. And of course, in sixth chapter of, of Bhagavad Gita, the discussion about yoga comes to bhakti yoga, ultimately. This is right near the end of the sixth chapter. So, he says, they're amongst yogis. Those who worship me in devotion, they're the, they're the best. So to be born in a yogi family and uh, a family of Vaishnavas, he says, uh, that is dulab, very rare. Loke janma yadidrisham, very rare to find in this world. So he said, we had, speaking of himself as he would, often in the plural, the good fortune to be born in a Vaishnav family. So with regard to coming, we're speaking about coming and going. He came in a glorious way. Actually, about 500-some years ago, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement, uh, Sankirtan movement, was inaugurated. And the chief assistant to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in this uh, great effort was Nitananda Prabhu. And it is said that Nitananda Prabhu and Chaitanya Bhagavat came to this world to deliver the mercantile community. And this is uh, said to be in reference to the inhabitants of Saptagram who became Muluks. And um, that is a Muslim title due to their uh, political situation there. And although they were mercantile people and uh, somewhat well-to-do, mercantile, of course, means Vaisha. So Nityananda Ram coming to deliver his own kind. Um, Balaram, of course, is half Chatriya, but Vasudev enough uh, comes from a was born from a Chatriya wife, and Nanda Maharaj from a Vaishya wife. So, just like in in, in Judaism, if if your mother's Jewish, then you're Jewish. So in the Indian system as well, whatever the mother's caste is, that determines the the child's uh, class. So at any rate, Ram, Rohini Nandan, and raised in in the in the jungle, in the forest, cowherding family, um, leaning more towards agriculture himself, carrying the plow as he does um, to make the, the ground. Soft and fertile, and and um, the ground of the heart uh, prepared for the bhakti lata bij to be planted. This is the work of Nitai. So he came, he said, to the world to deliver this mercantile class, and it refers to largely to the uh, this community in of Saptagram who had been uh, displaced from their status. As uh, merchants, they were gold uh, dealers in gold. Suvarnavanik. I mean, vanik means merchants, and suvarna means gold. So they were gold merchants. Well, they were well-to-do, but some politics there uh, occurred, and one uh, fellow got the upper hand and managed to uh, socially displace this group. 
such that they be, they lost in the eyes of the general Hindu public their status as merchants and fell to kind of like a extension of the Sudra class. We call uh, probably called what is the term? Um, Kayastas, something like that. So it is said that uh, Nityananda Prabhu, without a doubt, came to deliver these people. He came to Saptagram, and he he said it is said he performed sankirtan in every house there, and Saptagram became like a second Nadia, where Mahabrabhu himself was performing his pastimes of sankirtan. Nityananda Prabhu went there and performed sankirtan in that way. So they all belonged to him. He came to claim them and took them from a low-class social position to being members of his own family. Achyutta Gotra. They became, that means, Vaishnavs. And Vaishnavit Jati Bhuti, we are told. We should not consider a Vaishnav in terms of his or her birth. Who does this, then? He lives in hell in his mind. Ache Vishnu Shiladi Gurushu Narumati so they became uh, members of Nityananda Prabhu's family. And it said uh, he performed miracles there. He took one place, he placed a spoon in the ground, and a tree flowered, grew, and there were flowers. That flowering tree is still there, worshipable tree in Saptagram. And one of the principal associates of Ram, Balram, he had twelve close uh, comrades, we call Dwarasugopals, uh, also appeared in Saptagram, attracting his attention. That was one Udaranadatta Thakur. Mahabhagavata Shrestha Dato Udharan is mentioned. He was a Mahabhagavata, the best Shrestha, the best of Mahabhagavatas, one of Balaram's eternal. Uh, Coward friends who appeared as associates of Nityananda Prabhu in Gordon Nityananda Leela. Udaranadatta, he was Subahu Gopa. Appeared as Udaranadatta and following all of these, this mercantile class, they, they are the followers of Nityananda Prabhu, followers of Udaranadatta. And uh, Prabhupada's uh, family is a member of this group, the Day family. It came to populate almost half of Calcutta. They were all uh, muliks by another angle of vision, all the days. Abhaycharan Day was his birth name. Abhaycharanadavinda Das was his initiated name. And although sometimes he used to speak about this as his previous life, in the words, before becoming initiated, he, you may have noticed, that he used to keep the initials also. Either his initiated name, Abhaycharan, Abhaycharan Adarinda, given to him by Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur, or as well by his father, whom he considered a Shuddha Vaishnava, Abhaycharan. Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur did not change it much. You just put the the, uh, the lotus on it. Hmm? Abhaycharan Aravinda. 
who's fearful at the at the feet of Krishna? No, as fearful at the lotus feet of Krishna. So, this is something about Prabhupada's coming to the world, very auspicious birth. He used to go regularly, as everyone in the day community would, and visit the place of Udaranadatta. Udaranadatta established the deity of Gaur, Nityananda, Garadhar, and there's a picture of Udaranadatta there from the time of his manifest pastimes that's worshipped to this day. Anyway, Prabhupada and his family, in his youth, his childhood, used to go there and visit. In fact, when Prabhupada came to America and returned back to India the first time, the um, caretakers of the temple, the priests and so forth, they sent a special invitation to him to come. Their hometown kind of boy they looked at it. Of course, he was born in Calcutta, but the Calcutta days were only the extension of Saptagram, Saptagram um, Mercantile, Suvarnavanic community. <clears throat> so they invited him back and honored him and, and so forth. So in this way, he's beginning, his coming to the world, very much tied to the grip of Nityananda Prabhu, who was so uh, concerned about seeing the distribution of Gore. Frame. The year that he appeared, our Guru Maharaj, 1896, something was percolating in that regard, as, as, as most of you well know, in the form of the preaching of Thakur Bhakti Vinod, who had in, envisioned this kind of fulfillment of the prophecy of Mahaprabhu that Nityananda Prabhu was so um, preoccupied with himself. Thakur Bhakti Vinod also, from an initiatory, uh, from a Diksha point of view, came in the Nityananda lineage, Vangsa, Nityananda Vangsa. In the same year of Prabhupada's birth, I'm referring to, of course, the fact that uh, the uh, life and precepts of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, a book authored by Bhakti Vinod Thakur in his own English, had made its way to uh, the Western world, arrived in uh, at McGill University was taken into the library there, 1896. We should pause for a moment and think, reflect upon the extraordinary position of, of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. After all, Prabhupada called his movement the mission of Bhaktivinoda. As Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur used to refer to his group as, as um, Bhaktivinoda Paribar, the family of, of Bhaktivinoda. So Prabhupada extended that idea to his to his own work, his mission after he formed ISKCON. Sometimes he would say, it is the mission of Bhakti Vinod. Shape changed a little bit, name a little bit, but this is what it is about. What kind of vision he had, what kind of uh, Vaishnava he was, Thakur Bhakti Vinod. Now we are all... Uh, Western people and, and the Western world is, of course, very much af affected by rationalism. And, and while that may be suspended to some extent uh, under the influence of a powerful person, spiritual person, their bhava, their influence, it keeps showing up and surfacing. It's our nature to uh, pry in and find the reason behind things and analyze and and so forth, much more than the Eastern mentality. 
And so, inevitably, and in, in spite of the fact that Prabhupada, in a very powerful way, suppressed our our reasoning power you know, spiritually by his bhava, that we are unquestioning about anything he said and wrote and and so forth, kind of arrested our intellect and and uh, used it for his purpose. In his absence, we find that it, that it surfaces. We have to think about what it was that he said and did. Did he really say that? What does that mean? And so forth. So any Western person is is going to be either plagued by this or have the good fortune. Depends how you want to look at it. I think it's more of a plague than than not. But because the world is moving in that direction, it's important that we think rationally about Gaudiya Vaishnavism and make a presentation of it that has intellectual integrity. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur had this in mind. Now, my point here is this, that we are Western people, we'll naturally think like this to one extent or another. But for someone born in India to think like this, maybe now, as the Western influence becomes as, as, as great as, as, as it has. But in those days, it wasn't as, as dominant for someone born in India. Bhaktivinoda Thakur was influenced to think like this rationally about Gaudiya Vaishnavism in a way it had never been thought about before. In other words, all, no previous Acharya had thought about Gaudiya Vaishnavism in terms of modern social concerns, norms, science. I mean, where was science before that? Scientific revolution in Europe took place when? 18th century? 18th century. And uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur was a, a 19th century, extending slightly into the 20th century person. So he was the first person to, to think about all these things to and to argue for Vaishnavism in relation to these these new developments if you will. And there were many Vaishnavas at, at the time also, but none of them were thinking along these lines. It's quite extraordinary that he would would do so. It, 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 it to me, speaks of the uh, particular nature of the uh, empowerment that the Lord um, bestowed upon him to do this kind of work. And so as we all... Uh, think about our tradition in relation to the modern world and so forth, we cannot but think of Bhaktivinoda Paribar. Impossible. So we are quite justified in using the term. Some people question, what is this Bhaktivinoda Paribar? All the Paribars means the eternal associates of Mahaprabhu. They're, they're their families, their sampradayas have started from them. Chitananda Prabhu, Gadadhar Prabhu, Advaita Prabhu, the Goswami's disciples, families, and so on and so forth. Here it's coming some 400 years later, Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Of course, we, he was uh, considered by some to be the seventh Goswami, and much of his work is very analogous to the work of the Goswamis. Not only in the writing, but the excavating of the places of Krishna's pastimes, that he did in Navadweep, hmm, which is said to be not different from Vrindavan. Goswami's excavated the places of Krishna's pastimes in Vrindavan. He did in Navadweep like no one else had done. 
very he was very bent on that and very successful in his uh, attempt primarily to establish the birthplace of, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. I'd said at the at the inauguration of the temple that he had envisioned at Bhuttamandir, the wonderful Mandir in Mayapur at the birthplace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. When it was finally f- finished, completed, then uh, 50,000 people attended. That's a good, 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 good show of support for the Thakur's vision. You know, there was a, there's a long argument and it continues to this day. There's opposition, that is to say, to Bhaktivinoda Thakur's vision, discovery, and so forth. He had a spiritual vision. He had academic, uh, empiric evidence to support it. And he had the support of the vision, uh, confirmation of seniors like Vongsidas uh, Babaji, Jogananthas Babaji, and so forth. 50,000 people attended, people from Calcutta and so forth, where he had gone previously and begged door-to-door, personally, to get the uh, finances to build a temple at the birthplace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, very extraordinary person. And we're charmed by the fact that uh, that this is the way in which the disciples will see uh, the object of their affection, Sri Gurudev, that he was born in the same year that uh, that book of Bhaktivinoda Thakur's touched down in, in Canada. Time when Bhaktivinoda Thakur was writing to Thoreau and, and Emerson and other such people. See how thoughtful he was about preaching, how... Uh, inspired he was, and where there is preaching, what did Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati talk about? Where there is life, there is preaching. And ye bhajese boro. That's a famous line from Chaitanya Charitamrita. This is the real, this is the bhajan. Who can do bhajan? He's great. This is the bhajan of our lineage. Kirtana prabhave smarana svabhave. Prabhupada lived his life on, uh, spiritual life in terms of this maximum maxim given by uh, so it's the last line of the famous Vishnab K a poem of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur who was sat in bhajan for about nine years in Puri uh, and got up from that and said this is a sham what so many people are doing and like this Mahaprabhu was preaching that that uh, should go on and he went and began his his campaign Kirtana Prabhave Smarana Swabhave. By Kirtan, then uh, Smarn will, Smarnam, will, which is the, considered the main limb of Raghunuga Bhakti, that will come naturally and spontaneously. So absorb yourselves in Kirtan. This is the message. And naturally that will come. This was Prabhupada's own experience. When he was asked by one of his disciples, in Vrindavan uh, about Siddha Pranali, one of his sannyasi disciples, who uh, was accompanied by his godbrother, Bhattarobi Al Kapoor, he was asked that Prabhupada, what about this Siddha Pranali? Uh, I would like to get that. Siddha so means knowledge of my swarup and the process for cultivating that. What did Prabhupada say? He said, we do not give that in our line. It, it will come automatically. I am a coward boy, he said. That foolish disciple said, but I didn't buy it. Hmm. I went outside and I looked for so on and so forth. 
And we can see the difference. Little Guru Nishta and no Guru Nishta. <laughs> what will be the reaction to that statement? Imagine if Prabhupada said that to you. <laughs> huh? To hear that from his son, Lotus Mouth. So, yeah, this is, of course, ties in with the, his birth, the creep of Nityananda Prabhu and Udaranadatta and so on and so <coughs> forth. So, born in the year of Bhakti Vinod Thakur's, uh, when his, his vision was manifesting and uh, his preaching actually touched down on this uh, continent for the first time. It was said that, uh, of course, England was the most prominent country at that time. This was before World War I, even. But uh, it was said that Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur desired to, uh, ten years to preach in America, that he could have ten years to preach in America, because this was, of course, what um, also, uh, I guess it was uh, just before World War Two in the early 1930s that uh, he began his, to send emissary to England. England was the dominant country. But he had a vision. America would become prominent. He could see it. So he had an ambition like this. And Sridhar said he got 10 plus 2 through Swami Maharaj, as he would affectionately refer to Prabhupada. That is my opinion. As Prabhupada preached for te- 12 years in America, he thought, my guru, our Guru Maharaj had that desire, he got 10 plus 2. This is how Swami Maharaj served his Guru. You want 10, I'll give you 12. Use me in that way. This was, uh, of course, very characteristic of Prabhupada. His uh, Guru Nishta, faith in his Guru, was uh, everything to him, as it should be. <clears throat> But uh, after his uh, appearance in the world, of course, it was some time before he was initiated. Uh, he was he re- uh, born in eighteen ninety six, and I believe his earliest memory that he ever spoke about was a uh, I think he was a year and a half, or maybe a little younger, and there was this Sankirtan party, big Sankirtan party. His father took him on. There was a drought in Calcutta. And so they all did Sankirtan, and the rains came. So he was taken on that by his father, and he remembers the the party and so forth. This is his earliest memory. Other early memories were things like his uh, his ambition as it began to show itself. Now, I said, of course, that Prabhupada spoke about himself in terms of being a, 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 a yogi, a devotee that didn't complete his practice but took birth in a Vaishnava family. This is the statement of the Gita to pick up where he left off. But in explaining that uh, in one occasion, he made it more clear that actually he said that, well, there was never a time I ever I can ever remember not not thinking of Krishna. So there's other way to be born in in uh, Vaishnava family, as well, and we would like to think of him in that way. That, uh, like the eternal associate of Mahaprabhu, coming for a important, important seva. The work he did is it is there's no there, there should be no 
wonder, no doubt in anybody's mind, why members of Prabhupada's formal mission, ISKCON, are as um, fanatical about him as they are. I mean, his contribution was just uh, astronomical. It is unbelievable what he did. Unbelievable in so many ways. Of course, that doesn't justify the uh, kind of fanaticism that we often see. But there's some good reason for it to, to begin with. Very extraordinary person. Uh, we are often cautioned, if we were to write about the guru, to write about his life beginning at the time of initiation. We should not consider his previous ashram, previous life. But we have no trouble considering it, finding the wonderful gems that we do there. His aspiration as a child, what was his biggest aspiration? Just like, you know, I want to go to Disneyland or uh, something like that. He wanted to go to Jagannath Puri. He would dream and fantasize about catching a train to Puri. For what purpose? To see the Ratha Yatra of Lord Jagannath. What a childhood aspiration. Once he called me to his room and told me, he said, he just out of the blue and he said, when I was young, I wanted to, he told the story, and of course I knew the story, but he filled in some details for me. He said, I, I wanted to go to Jagannath Puri to catch a train. Hmm. I was thinking like this, and I was so insistent of having Rathayatra that my father had to buy me a, a small Rathayatra cart. And so then I would pull it, and every year I would perform the Rathayatra, and all the neighbors would come, he said. And then he told me that uh, I used to keep the cart by my bedside and I would wake up in the night and reach out, touch it, make sure it was there, still there. He said, in this way, every year I performed the Ratha Yatra and the neighbors would all come and they would think it was very cute. And, and he said, they, they thought it was play, but then his eyes became very big like they would sometimes. And he said, but it was real. He said, and now I am doing that all over the world. Just say <laughs> this was his childhood aspiration. He used to tell the story of how he was involved uh, once in a drama of Chaitanya Leela, as we engaged children in, in such dramas and so forth. And uh, he had the part of Advaita in the, in, 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 in the play. And when he came on the stage and played his part as Advaita Acharya, he said, the whole audience cried. <laughs> when he used to talk us, to us about drama, that was his idea, that it would be real. You should perform the drama such that it's real. So he had a very uh, glorious childhood, very affectionate father, Gaur Mohande, who was... Um, had aspirations for his son as well. He had a twofold aspiration that he would play Murdunga nicely in Kirtan, play the coal, and uh, become servant of Radharani. So he, uh, uh, these were the desires of his father, and, and he lived up to them, fulfilled them in his own way.
Gormohandei probably used to say would always visit, always invite the sadhu. Any sadhu came came by of any kind, he would invite him. Probably appreciated it to one extent, but he saw many sadhus that were not very um, <clears throat> worthy of following. And so, as a result of his father's generous policy, he developed a bit of a critical eye towards sadhus. And meanwhile, the whole Indian ideal religious ideal uh, was being uh, politicized by by Gandhi and um, the British occupation and so forth therefore the call for Ram Raja which you know, really doesn't have anything to do with politics the kingdom of Ram has all and everything to do with with bhakti but uh, Gandhi kidnapped the idea <laughs> and used it for his political propaganda and captivated many of the youth of, uh, of India at the time. And so, probably was drawn into Gandhiism to some extent. Sridhar Marsh also confessed to have been drawn into Gandhiism to some extent, <clears throat> wearing the khadi cloth, and which was a statement, we will not go with the middle cloth and the uh, and British policies and so forth and so on. But one uh, friend uh, dragged him to see Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. Although he showed some resistance, I've seen so many sadhus. My father invited sadhus every night, practically. That was the entertainment of our house, to have a sadhu over. So I don't have a lot of respect for them. This is, again, also a testament to the climate the times we spoke about this on the appearance of Shudarmar's just just passed one week ago, and how his father was a, was a, a high class Brahmin and um, religious and a hater of Gaudiya Vaishnavism hmm. because of the extent to which Gaudiya Vaishnavism was was misrepresented. It was thought that if you if you didn't have any caste, you go become a Gaudiya Vaishnav. Then you think you just you 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 up, um, outstaged everybody. Now you become a Vaishnav. This Mahaprabhu, they they think that they thought it was ruining the whole social religious uh, system of, of of India. So I brought it up last week, and it's worth reiterating briefly. Uh, some people object to the idea that. There was actually a degradation of Vaishnavism at the time and a need for a revival and the kind of reforms that Bhakti Vinod Thakur did and Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur did. But we have testaments, not from uh, modern-day scholars collecting pieces of information from books and so forth, but but from uh, uh, people with first-hand experience. Sridhar Maharaj and uh, our Prabhupada are uh, testaments to this. Sridhar said his father was a hater of Gaudiya Vaishnavas, and of course he explained why, as I have briefly. And Prabhupada was, in, father was inviting many sadhus, but they were not always a very good character. And so Prabhupada was not entirely um, thrilled with the idea of going to see a sadhu, but he was told, no, this one is different. So that boy had the idea too, who was bringing Prabhupada. This one is different. 
Sometimes now in a modern society, modern-day Gaudiya Vaishnavism internationally, we hear things like, these Western gurus, you know, you can't rely on them. You have to get an Indian guru. That's where you get a real solid connection. But uh, you should be quick to tell them, India, that is the land of bogus gurus. They invented bogus gurus there. (laughs) They're on every corner. (laughs) Everywhere you turn, practically. So at any rate, as you know, he went to see Bhakti Saraswati Thakur, and he was impressed. Hmm? He told him that this Gandhi's movement is a waste of time. And uh, Prabhupada at that point said, I knew I had found my guru. He disenfranchised himself from the Gandhi movement, but naturally his uh, father wanted to, to marry. There were two girls to choose from, a very attractive one and a less attractive one. So... He chose the less attractive one because he had heard, well, then it would be easier to become detached in the future, <laughs> which indicated that he had such an ambition from the very beginning that he would become a, a bairagi, a tyagi, which was uh, something uh, that Mahaprabhu stressed. We heard it in the poem he read this morning. Actually, it's mentioned in Chaitanya Charitamrita also from the mouth of Mahaprabhu himself, how dear renunciation is to him. We see when he saw the standard of renunciation in Das Goswami, then he said, do this kind of worship. Take Giriraj. You have no ambition. You are a kinchin. Vishaya, Chadiya, what is it? Vishaya, Chadiya, Sera, Semajiya. Mukibo, Lo, Hari, Hari. Another one I'm thinking, Narutam Thakur, that's Lochan Das. Vishaya, Chadiya, Kobe, Shuddha Hobe Maan, Kobe Hame, Kobe Hama, Buja, Haba, Shri Vrindavan Dham. And when these things correspond, Vishaya Chadiya, Shuddha, Shuddha Chite. With the, the giving up sense gratification and consciousness becoming pure. If the heart is pure, it's like a spotik money, like a crystal. Now our heart, Mabu gave this example, Cheto Dalpana Marjanam. This Namsan Kirtan cleanses the mirror of the heart. What is a mirror of the heart? What, what, is, what is that analogy all about? What it means is that the, is that the heart is colored. Our heart, cheta, means mind, it means consciousness, it means heart, it means, it's hard to do, do, uh, render into English. It's that internal organ by which we ascertain that, that we are, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, when this organ is uh, directed uh, consciousness towards the, uh, the world, it becomes colored means. So, it becomes colored means that an an identity develops in relation to the world. We are, as I've many times said, our attachments. That's why Arjun was unnerved uh, at the idea of killing Drona and Bhishma. What will become of me, he said? If I kill my attachments, what will become of me? Because I am my desires. That's what defines me. 
Don't worry. <laughs> this is the message of Mahaprabhu. Don't worry. That identity defined by our attachments, that is, a, that is like dust on the mirror of the mind, the mirror of the heart. So if you cleanse the heart, then it means this mirror, the process of cleansing that Mahaprabhu was given is very nice because it's a cleansing process that's in the context of placing before that mirror something very desirable, not just cleansing it. So Krishna Nam, this is the predicament. My heart is full of dust, so I cannot take advantage of Krishna Nam. But Krishna Nam becomes a sweeper. Very generous. Enters the heart and takes the role of a sweeper and cleanses the heart first. And although there's dust there, as I've mentioned before, if we are humble about that, then Krishna Nam will stay with us. Even though we've got dust in the heart, if a, if a very bad person humbles himself before others who he's offended, it's not that his character's changed immediately, but anyway, okay. You, you, you humbled yourself. We'll go on from here. We do not, des not desert you. So Krishna will not desert us then. That's our good fortune. This is our only hope, you see. Dainya. Humility. Krishna will stay with us. Then the result will be gradually heart will become cleansed. And then Krishna is there. He's cleansed. And then you can see him. It means that the mirror of the heart then reflects an identity in relation to Krishna. Very nice idea. So like crystal, if you place a crystal next to a, next to a red rose, then it will turn red. So if the heart is clean, then you put it in relation to bhakti well, very quickly. Therefore, Bhagavatam says, what? Vedyam vastala matra vastu sivadam tapatrayon mulanam simad bhagavate krite shivan bhagavatam mahamuni krite kimba pararishvara sadyo hridaya varudya tetra sadyo hridaya varudya tetra Immediately it becomes, uh, Krishna becomes arrested in the heart one who desires to hear Bhagavatam. This means one who desires to hear Bhagavatam, and, but their heart is already cleansed. Otherwise, it will take a little time. Krishna first has to come and do the, do the sweeping. So, where were we? In relation to Prabhupada? He understood renunciation. Yes, he understood renunciation. And Mahabharata has given some some stress on this, we heard this morning. Yeah. In his poem, he, he wrote about that. Though from his childhood he had an aspiration, therefore he thought, yes, if I'll marry, I'll pick the less attractive of the two girls my father is suggesting would be suitable, because it will be easier for me to renounce then in the future. So he did, of course. Hmm? After some time, he was initiated, uh, and uh, and had some occasion to associate with Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. Not much, but at different times, and he gave different hints at the time, what would be the future. At one point then, towards the end of the manifest little Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, then Prabhupada uh, uh, wrote to him for some service, humbly. 
I live outside of the Mat. I have not had any opportunity to render any personal service. If you be so kind as to give some service opportunity to me, that will be my good fortune. And Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthataka wrote him two weeks before he left the world and said, I think it would be good for you if you preach in English. Prabhupada said, he ordered me to preach in English. I took the order, on my, uh, his suggestion as an order, and this is my success, should be attributed to this. This again is his Guru Nishta. Vyabhasayatmika buddhirekeha Guru Nandana. Vishwanath has commented, Yasya Prashada, the Bhagavad Prashada. This verse of Gita says, we have to be very resolute, one-minded. When this comes, then progress is sure. And how we'll get that, Vishwanath comments, oh, by pleasing the Guru. This is Vyabhasayatmika Buddha. This is very intelligent. Krishna has come to me in this way, very close to me. Hmm. Pay attention here. Uh, this will bring remuneration very quickly. So, Prabhupada had that uh, kind of spirit. He took initiation. He preached as a householder. Dutiful he was to his household, but it was just not working. Took time. He wanted to preach, and he was willing to maintain a business to keep the family maintained, but they had showed no interest. His wife did not want to become initiated. And uh, meanwhile, his interest only increased. And, of course, then the famous story of how she sold the Bhagavatam. Mm -hmm. It was either tea or me, she said. And he said, take the tea. Mm -hmm. And we got the me. Mm -hmm. He loved a family of a few children. And as he used to say, he got thousands of children, the form of his disciples, and obedient ones also. <laughs> Hard to find. So he came to a life of renunciation in a natural way, maybe in his 50s, as a vanaprastha, and he attempted to preach, but he met with many uh, difficulties and uh, obstacles, but he was never deterred for a moment. He had an extraordinary uh, vision uh, the, of his... Uh, uh, how successful his work should be. And, and there were so many things that came in the way, so many obstacles that any ordinary person would have just given it up. And especially at, at, as, at, as he became older and older and, and he had nothing, no money. He wrote a poem uh, after he had settled in Vrindavan and he said, I'm sitting here and I have a laugh. I had a family, wife, children, and so forth, but I had not enough money to make them happy, so they've all deserted me. That's the way he portrayed it. They've deserted me. What is the use? I have a laugh. What is this wife, children, parents, everything? It's all just the workings of samsara. Very nice poem he wrote at that time. But these were hard times also for Prabhupada in his Vanaprastha years, and then early sannyas, he had nothing. He was just penniless, a complete beggar. This is the idea of Trinadapisunichena, verse of uh, Shikshastakam. Completely destitute, penniless, nothing, dependent upon Krishna, humbled, 
I have nothing, nowhere to turn. And so he depended on Krishna, tried to print books. This struggle is so, that's so an inspiring section of his life. He had maybe one one dhoti, wear it the day, wash it at night, hang it up, and put it on again in the morning. I mean, he was a total, absolute uh, beggar. He had a different idea, however, of Madhukari than most of the tyagis of Vrindavan. <clears throat> Madhukari means the bee goes, who goes from one flower to another taking a little pollen, little honey, never staying in one place too long. So the Madhukari brought a vow, the Vaishnav, who's a tyagi, who's a renunciate, he will just go door to door and with a begging bowl, get some chapatis, like this, and he'll make his living like this. But uh, that sounds pretty austere, but there's actually a whole system built into Vrindavan for doing Madhukari. So it's not as as bad as you might think, especially if you were brought up in that culture as well. But uh, Prabhupada uh, didn't really involve himself in that. He lived at the Radhadamadar temple. He took the prasad of the deity, what the priests offered and so forth. Certainly he lived very austerely. But he was a Gostyanandi, a preacher, following the um, mandate of Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasri Thakur and his insight, kirtan, that will bring uh, smaranam on one swarup naturally. So... He was very much preoccupied with that. And it's a very preoccupying engagement to think, to try to present Gaudiya Vaishnavism to the modern world. It's it's very taxing. If one's preoccupied with that, uh, it's a very good opportunity for his mind or her mind to become absorbed. Because to go sit in the jungle with your beads, there's very good potential that your mind will wander. And so that happens in the Madhukari world also. Minds are wandering. A godbrother of mine who was living as a sannyasi in Vrindavan for a long time and doing Madhukari. I met him once during Kartik and I did not approve of his um, position as a sannyasi, what it meant to go to Yabhishtam as in Bhaktisiddhanta's line and so forth. And, and anyway, I didn't complain. I didn't say anything, but I didn't approve of it entirely. And Then we were we went one place on Parakrama and he pointed, he said, oh, this village is over here. He said, that's, that's a very good village for Madhukari. I said, Maharaj, you are not doing Madhukari. <laughs> Do you understand? When we're thinking, that place is good for Madhukari. I'll go there. They give hot chapatis over there. <laughs> this is not <laughs> Madhukari. Madhukari means you're not thinking about eating. No, sometime I go and beg, that's all, and get something. I'm not preoccupied with that. If I don't get, that's fine. But when we start to think, there's more, people give more generously over there. They give two or three chapatis, and I'll go here instead of there. Sangsara. Hmm? You're in the middle of Sangsara with your begging bowl and uttariya, like this. <laughs> no. What was Prabhupada's idea of Madhukari? Very different idea. He wanted to go to America. Now, as I said, many Indian boys want to go to America. But he had a very different idea about that. He wanted to go to America to change it, to bring Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings. And so he would try to find out about America while he was living as a beggar 
he would uh, take his meals at Radhadam under temple and beg whatever money he could get, he would spend on, on, on preaching, printing his Back to Godhead magazine, taking the train to Delhi, getting a loan to print the magazine, trying to sell it in the tea shops, and looking through garbage cans, not to find something to eat, but to find some, some information about the world. Somebody left their newspaper like they do in the coffee shop at Starbucks. So you come and take it. You don't have to buy the paper. Uh, if you don't have too much of an identity crisis. <laughs> and and uh, so Prabhupada would take the newspaper. So then he used to find um, tracts, Jehovah's Witness tracts and from Christian preaching. Where he would get information about America. What it was like over there, what the, how the, the religious people were thinking. Naturally, you think you go to the religious people and they're Christians, and this is how they preach and this is how they think. So this was his background. This is his raga. Meanwhile, other people living in Vrindavan, reading the Goswami Shastras, doing Madhukari, and and so on. And Prabhupada is trying to find about any information he can about America, and reading the religious tracts and so forth. This was his raga. This was his enthusiasm. People think, what kind of what is it? he's not doing? What any raga bhakti? What is this? Reading the newspapers? Trying to find out information about America? Making a magazine? Going to Delhi? This was, would be uh, mind-boggling. They would be dismissed by the many of the so-called Tyagis there in Vrindavan. No, but this is how he preoccupied himself. And then to get a ticket to America, see what he did. Went and sat at the Sumati Moraji's on her uh, lawn. <laughs> you know what a lawn is in India? I mean, it's like very rare. Sat on the lawn and did his nam, nam bhajan there with a desire to go to America. How inappropriate. He's doing nam bhajan with a desire to get a ticket to go to America. That's how it could be looked at. Uh, but she knew he was a sadhu. She didn't want him to go for fear of his health. She said, no, you should stay in Vrindavan, retire, you're 70 years old, this is the last part of your life, this is time for bhajan, Maharaj. Hmm? <laughs> this is his bhajan. Kirtana prabhave, smaranas prabhave. So she had to acquiesce, give him passage as a piece of cargo on her boat steamer, the Jaladutta, and he went and aboard the ship across the ocean. So many difficulties. They didn't stop there. So many difficulties. Health difficulties. They came. Heart attack. Seasickness. And so forth. On his uh, appearance day here, we read from that book that Chaitanya Daya kindly gave to me. Of Prabhupada's handwriting and so forth. On the Jaladutta's diary on the boat. Very nice publication. And there again it surfaced. Tomaro milane bhai abarshe shukopai gocharani guridhin bor. Banekai lutaputi. Banekai chutaputi. What is it? Banekai. Chut. Kotavane chuta chuti. Banekai lutaputi. Se din kobehobe mor. This influence of Nityananda Ram. Shiramar said, at that time, it is my consideration, on the boat, crossing the ocean, he had completely emptied himself out, completely, 
such full sharanagata, Krishna will maintain me, such full surrender, that Nityananda Prabhu filled him up with that avish, that power to do that kind of guru-seva. In that prayer, he prayed for that. My Gurudev, give me the power. You are the representative of Radharani, and it's known throughout the world, my dear Krishna, that if Radharani is pleased with you, then your life will become pious. If Radharani is pleased with you, my dear friend Krishna, that will be good for you. This is the kind of consultation that Krishna takes from people like, friends like Subal, Madhu Mangal. They're expert in giving this kind of counsel to Krishna in his moments of, of uh, separation. He's, all, he's feeling separation, but sometimes it's augmented. He's thinking of her constantly, but then sees something that overtly reminds him of her. And he says, oh, Subal, do the japa, sing uh, Radhanam. What is that statement? Godopokari Smritidapriyanam The best friend, Krishna says, the best friend is one who reminds one of his beloved at moments of separation. So, Srinivas says, at this time, writing this prayer, thinking like this, when I will again meet Krishna, my friend, when I will sport with him in the forest, Gocharani, Guridhinbo, herding cows, all these things. This was his, this was his Smarana Swabhave, from his Kirtan of Prabhave, from his enthusiasm for Kirtan, his determination for Kirtan. This is coming fully in his heart. And Nityananda Prabhu giving him the power. This is a preaching prayer, but his bhajan prayer also. See how they're combined. He's asking for power to preach. And with very good reasoning, he appeals to Krishna, my dear friend. It will be good for you if Radharani is pleased, don't you think? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And my Gurudev is representing Radharani's group, so she has asked me to preach. So you have to give me the power. This is a way to attract Krishna's attention. Did he give him the power? There are all the evidence of that in such a big way. Then he touched the shores of America. And that game campaign began. Such wide preaching. In America. So here's a young Indian boy wanted to go to America. <laughs> As that began, he arrived. But he never changed his color. He changed our color. So many young boys and girls giving up their material lives for his uh, uh, ideal of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission. Such power he had. I've been doing a little studying of different uh, groups recently, uh, yoga groups and so forth in America, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite shocked to find some of the things that I found about the leaders of these different, some of these different missions who were, many of whom were at the time of Prabhupada, and some of whom have, have passed away and some of whom are still here. Quite shocking. It's quite a bit of, 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 uh, of, of mumble-jumble that is so characteristic of Kali Yuga. I remember once with, being with Prabhupada in Los Angeles and he, he was speaking from 11th Canto of Bhagavatam, which had been published at that time, but 
He was taking from his book with the commentaries, and he was speaking about Kali Yuga and its influence. And one of the influences of Kali Yuga is that people will, sadhus will just say mumble-jumble, and people will think, wow, that's really profound. And Prabhupada was speaking and speaking and then about it, and then he started to mumble-jumble, and he kept on talking. It was kind of funny, because it was like, oh, that, yeah, it kind of like made sense. The mumble-jumble just kind of fit in, and he, and he was saying nothing. Then he laughed, and we all realized what he had done. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm quite serious. It's really, it's, 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 uh, it's, I was flabbergasted to find that the kind of mumble-jumble that goes on, practically in defense of, of sense gratification, practically, in the name of Vedanta and Buddhism and highest stages and uh, absolutely reprehensible behavior. And I, 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 as I was reading, I was thinking, and they would think Prabhupada, oh, he's just like so simple, you know, he's just a, kind of a fundamentalist approach to things, dualism, you know, God and the, and the devotee, and where's the non-dualism, and all these terms they throw out that don't understand. And um, meanwhile, their moral character is absolutely abominable. And I mean, I mean I'm shocked. I, I heard about some of these people I looked up, I thought, oh, they must have had good character. So, no way. I'm shocked. And Prabhupada would speak like that. They're all bogus. And then people say, how could he say that about such and such Baba and such and such Maharaj and such and such this and that? He did it. He said it. And if you study, you find out he had good reason to say it. He may have had a less sophisticated and hip uh, contemporary uh, presentation than, than some of them. But his moral character was, was impeccable. His, his, he was surrounded by as much opulence as them, or more, and never changed his lifestyle. Sridhar said he was amazed that he knew him, and how he was a very simple person, lived very simply, and he'd gone to America, and all this wealth had come, all this following and so forth. He came back, and he was just the same simple person, happy to stay in a grass hut in Mayapur before anything was, else was built. All the money he, he, he spent on... You know how much money he spent on books to print those books? We were getting a one volume of Bhagavatam a month, 50,000 copies at a time. I mean, they're huge print runs. This was going on for years, for 12 years. He threw so much money at books. You go and look at these other organizations, how much money they spent on books, publishing. They don't publish too much because then, you know, intelligent people can catch them. <laughs> you said this here. Now you're saying this over here. And then you're doing that over there. <laughs> no. So many books and so many temples and still he... he never. The slightest distraction. And, uh, and he once told me in New York, I've told this story before, I, the year I took sannyas, we were sitting in the 11th... Uh, actually, 76, I took sannyas in 75, but... I was there with him in an 11th-story skyscraper <laughs> in Manhattan, and and he told me, he said, have you seen the New York women? I thought, what, is he testing me here? Or, uh, <laughs> and I just remained quiet, and he didn't say anything. And he, then, I, then he said, they're so beautiful. So beautiful, the New York women. I began to talk about them, and... And, and and then it turned and said, and this way they've captured the men and the men are working so hard and and uh, and, and all these buildings are going up like this uh, by this attraction between man and woman and just see Vishnu Maya he said so wonderful 
<laughs> so he was like meditating on them and seeing them. Beautiful, isn't it? But not the slightest, slightest attraction. So much money passed through his hands. He said, some sadhus, they say, money, don't, I don't touch money. They may say, but they said, put it in the bank over here. <laughs> you draw it out. It's, you're my disciple. You have to do what I say. Spend it as I like. Buy me this. Buy me that. Yeah, I did some research. It's incredible. No, he said, I go like this. Give me money. Yes. He spent every penny for Krishna. I mean, he had so much potential for being distracted. Go through the list. Go look to research on the Internet yourself. Go through the list. This Mars, that Baba, this Swami, that Buddha. I'm telling you, I was surprised at some of them. I thought, well, he must have had good character. Not only, I mean, not in small ways, in big ways, in abusing people psychologically. And it's, it's just shocking. Uh, Prabhupada's simple, very simple, very straightforward, and very powerful and very pure. And he ended his manifest lila in his hometown, Vrindavan, at this time, as I began, during the Kartik, with a desire to circumambulate Govardhan. Just at the just near this time of, of Govardhan Puja. He wanted to go on a bullock cart around Govardhan. This is his aspiration. While in the midst of Kirtan, still at the same time, with his meg, me, megaphone? Dictaphone. dictaphone. His dictaphone was a megaphone. He said, here the old man is, and still beating his drum, preaching through Madhbhagavatam. He left in Brahmavimohan Lila. Kritapunya Punja. This kind of piety, the life he led, that will get you there. In those can't those chapters it is said by Sukadev, I cannot imagine the piety of those cowherd boys. They could live like this with Krishna. They could associate what kind of pious activities they must have performed to have this kind of life. Now I can tell you, these kind of pious activities the Prabhupada performed. This kind of preaching, do that work. Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Tirubhava Mahotsavesi Bhaktivedanta Sami Prabhupada ki jai. Kod Pramanande. Haribu. Any questions? Comments? Insights? Yes. I'm just asking for your insight and realization. We've heard it all of our devotional lives that appearance and disappearance is the same, but from my perspective it's you know, the appearance and disappearance of the spiritual master is not the same, not how I experienced. So how is it the same? Obviously, from the higher perspective, it's said to be the same. Well, it means that he doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> he only appears to. He appears to appear, and he appears to disappear. But he's wherever he is, he's there. <laughs> he's there all the time. It means also appearing in one place. Disappearing here means appearing somewhere else. So what is the difference between disappearance and appearance? It's relative. It's a particular perspective. And yes, from our perspective, there's a difference. <laughs> there's a difference. But there's no difference in another sense. He appears for the purpose of taking us back to Godhead. And he disappears for the purpose of taking us back to Godhead also disappears with the same thing in mind. Now, I've told you all these things. Follow me. Find me. Come after me. It's a game of hide-and-seek. <laughs> <laughs> He's hiding, and we have to seek. We are hiding, he came to seek. 
Sometimes they say that the guru finds the disciple, not that the disciple finds the guru. So we are hiding, and the guru gave and comes and seeks after us. Come out from underneath that covering there. So we come out, and then he disappears. Now I'm hiding, you have to seek me. Disappearance is, of course, tragic for us uh, in one sense, but because we are servants of our Gurudev, and he is moving under the will of Krishna, when Krishna can no longer tolerate his separation, he's here on borrowed time. In other words, Krishna has lent him to us, his dear most. And Krishna cannot tolerate forever such a thing, so he brings him back. So we cannot complain about that. What a what a, a glorious thing that is. Nitya Pravishta, he has entered the Nitya we, we cannot complain about that. Of course, that is uh, true, and I'm speaking whether we call it Nitya Siddha or Sadhana Siddha, makes no difference. Krishna is still lending him to us. If one becomes Sadhana Siddha, he belongs to Krishna. And Krishna is keeping him here for our sake. All right, you borrow him for some time, but not forever. Right. So he takes him, and then we have to seek him, follow after him. It's a test. Say the guru will test the disciple, so this is the test. Krishna is the guru in one sense, so this is the test. Take the guru now. What have you learned? How you apply yourself? Are you for real, or was it just a sham? Were you following for some reason other than it wasn't substantial? Now the time's come for testing that. So there must be a test for the sadhaka in order to become a siddha. So this is a way also to understand the disappearance. <laughs>